Welcome to well, what I'm calling the midweek timeout. Usually it is the Tuesday timeout, but uh, had, had a little bit of unforeseen circumstances, kept us off the air last night, but we are live right here on NGSCSports.com where we never stop. Make sure you visit NGSCSports.com for all the greatest content, all the shows, all the written content, all the podcasts, much, much more over there. Check it out again, NGSCSports.com. You can also... Uh, podcast everything uh, on Spreaker and iHeartRadio by searching in GSC. This show and uh, my Thursday show, Three Count Thursday, uh, directly by searching uh, Big Jim Sports on your podcast apps. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Jim Sports. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash, <clears throat> slash Big Jim Sports uh, for all the content. If you want to call tonight, you can do that, 724-444-7444. The call ID 136. 117. It's in the tweets I sent out. It's on the Facebook post that I posted. So you can check out that there again. Twitter at Big Jim Sports, Facebook.com slash Big Jim Sports. I just want to thank my friend Brian uh, for hooking us up with the uh, with the new music beds you're going to hear on the show. Excuse me, new intro that you heard. Uh, the new um, music you're going to hear throughout the show and on the close of the show. I want to again thank him for that. So Brian. Thank you uh, for doing that uh, for us. We're going to bring in our co-host, Matt, here in just a second. But I want to thank Ralph again for last Tuesday night covering for me uh, under the weather a week ago. Ralph, thank you for that. And also pretty exciting stuff here uh, in just a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks from the night to be, in fact, the guys from the PBR podcast, formerly the Pizza Beer Revolution podcast, Mike and Derek will be joining the show to talk about the relaunch, the rebrand of PBR Podcast. You can follow them uh, on Twitter at PBR Pod. Again, at PBR Pod, those guys will be joining us on June 16th. More information in the coming weeks about that. Uh, Matt, uh, let's bring in Matt on into the show. Matt, welcome back, buddy. How are you doing? Hey, Jim. I'm glad to be a part of the show tonight. Uh, we got a great lineup, it looks like. Uh, you know, a lot of great topics, a lot of stuff going on in sports this week. So uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, tons of stuff. You know, every week I, as as I start to prepare for this show, um, I, I always worry, am I going to get two hours worth? Am I going to have two hours worth of, of topics, especially when, when this time of year you start to feel like it's the dead time? I mean, I know we're just a couple weeks out from that because we have the Stanley Cup final starting tonight, the NBA finals kicking off soon um but every week it's like am i gonna have enough stuff am i gonna have enough stuff and and somehow the sports gods just keep feeding us uh, uh with topics and with information to uh to dole out to the masses here so yeah i, I put out two poll questions uh out on the twitter and facebook uh, yesterday of course 
uh, thinking we were going to go live yesterday. But uh, the, the two poll questions, and the first will cover our first topic. The second will cover a topic a little bit later. The first one, who will win the Stanley Cup, just straight out. Um, we had a couple responses on that. Uh, CJ got to us and said uh, that he predicts the Blackhawks in six. He actually didn't answer the second part of it. Um, but then uh, Andrew got to us. His original prediction back weeks ago when the playoffs started had uh, the Rangers over the Blackhawks. He's amending that. He's still picking the Blackhawks to lose to so Tampa Bay. Uh, to win the cup, he says no triple crown on the second part of it, which is will American Pharaoh win the Belmont Stakes? Uh, and then uh, Adam also checks in Blackhawks um, because of their experience, just overrides Tampa Bay, which we'll talk about in a minute. And he also says no triple crown. We'll get to the triple crown stuff in a little bit, Matt, but let's look at the Stanley Cup Finals, which uh, which started tonight, in my opinion, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, uh, the, the greatest playoff in, in, in all of sports, the greatest trophy in all of sports, uh, and that is the Stanley Cup. Currently game one sitting, uh, one nothing Tampa Bay about eight minutes uh, into the second period. Tampa Bay scored on a 6-6 goal uh, in the first period. But, but how did they get here? How did these two teams arrive to this point? And uh, you look at the, the, the Blackhawks, who are the Western Conference number four team. They were 48-28-6 in the regular season for 102 points in the playoffs. They beat the National Predators in six games, the Minnesota Wild in a four-game sweep, and then the, uh, then the Anaheim Ducks in seven games. The Tampa Bay Lightning, third in the Eastern Conference, 50-24-8 uh, for 108 points in the regular season. And uh, they got here by beating... Detroit in seven, Montreal in six, and of course the Rangers in a seven-game series. And in the regular season, uh, the two teams met uh, in uh, November 11th. The Blackhawks won a 3-2 shootout, uh, and the Lightning beat Chicago 4-0 in Tampa Bay on February 27th, uh, with Steven Stamkos scoring twice against Chicago Blackhawks uh, goalie, backup goalie Scott Darling. So you look at, the, at these two teams and you look at the matchup, and I think, I think the two teams are I – think, I think it's going to be a great matchup, but I think the two teams are very different. You look at the Lightning, they're very young, very raw, a lot of speed. Uh, Chicago, a little bit different, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more muscle, a little bit more knuckles uh, behind the team. But, but two teams that – you know, Chicago has a lot of experience here. Chicago has, has uh, you know, a lot of experience. They've been to the finals. They've won a cup. You know, th- these guys are seasoned when you get to this point of the year. This, this, is, this is not an easy trophy to win. This is not an easy journey to get to this cup. Tampa Bay, it's been years since they've done it. The, the, the lineup has been overhauled. And, and it's hard for me to think that at this point, at this point of the season, Part of me wants to say that that experience has to play a factor, does it not, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it has to. The, the Blackhawks are now headed to their third Stanley Cup in six years, which is just crazy. Um, and they they always find a way to just win when they get to the playoffs. Um, and, I mean, I'm rooting for them because I, I want to see uh, team and finally get a cup. But um, the, the Lightning are just a fun team to watch as well. So, so there's really not a, a way this this series is going to end where I'll be upset. Either way, I think 
I'm going to enjoy just watching the hockey. And, um, you know, it's it's one of the nice opportunities where there's not a team or a player in there that I just really dislike and don't want to see, you know, get the success. Uh, this is just going to be a fun one. Yeah, it really is. You know, for me, I, you know, I've always been a person who has uh, – you know, when when my team goes out, and I talked about it on the show two weeks ago, uh, I, I never like the, the team from the same conference as mine to win the title. Um, I, so I always root for the Western Conference if the Capitals get eliminated. Um, it, it, there's exceptions to every rule. And, and this year, honestly, it kind of feels like an exception just because Chicago's been there. And not that there's anybody on Chicago that I strongly dislike or anything. It's nothing like that. I mean, I definitely didn't want the Rangers to win, but now that the Rangers were eliminated, um, you know, I, I have no problem. I'm actually kind of pulling for Tampa Bay a little bit, um, it, it, slightly. I mean, it, it truly doesn't matter to me either way, but because um, I, I like it, like you said, n- nobody I really hate, nobody I really dislike that I say, you know, I don't want this guy or I don't want this team to win. Um, you know, I, I saw a, a tweet the other day from a Capitals beat writer that said, the Capitals won the season series versus both Tampa and Chicago. So in my mind, we are the Stanley Cup champions. I said, well, it's hard for me to argue with that kind of logic. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so maybe maybe I'll just make some, mock up some uh, Capitals Stanley Cup merchandise and, and sell it to my fellow Caps fans. But uh, yeah, it's 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 it, regardless of, of who the teams are in it, regardless of if I have a strong rooting interest in one of the teams or not. Um, I absolutely love the Stanley Cup final. I absolutely love, you know, th- th- this time of year because these these two teams have have been through you know an 82 game season, you know, anywhere between you know 12 and and 21 games before this series, and and you're looking at a series here that that has the potential, in my opinion, to go a full seven games. So you're looking at a journey of, of, of well over 100 games for, for both of these teams, and, and, it's, and it's impressive. This is not an easy sport. You know, baseball, baseball season is, is longer in terms of the number of games. Basketball season is long as well. But, but you're looking at a sport that, that, that I, in my opinion, really is, is the most physically taxing in, in all of sports, or at least in the major four. You know, I, you know, you could probably make the the argument for, you know, like a UFC or a boxing or a rugby or something like that. But you look at the major four. I, I think that the, that hockey is by far the most grueling season, especially for those teams that that go deep into the playoffs. And for a team like Chicago, you think about it that over the last couple of years have have gone deep into the playoffs a number of times. So while some of these teams that make one long playoff run. You know, Chicago's Chicago, those teams have had their summers starting in April through September, where Chicago's been starting in May and June, so they're getting less and less months off. I mean, these guys' bodies over the course of these years, as they're becoming better, and these guys have to be, you know, at some point you think they'd have to be starting to wear down just from, you know, from only getting a couple months off per year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just see during the regular season, just already their bodies are kind of beat up by the time the playoffs come around. So now, you know, after three rounds in the playoffs, we're we're getting these guys that, you know, they're most tired and they're still giving it all. It's just, it's 
a true testament to the sport and the passion behind the sport because these guys go out there and I mean, we see people come back after breaking bones, losing teeth, you know, taking pucks to the face, and they just come out and still play. So um, it's it's a lot of heart in hockey, and it really shines through when we get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Jim, I have to ask you this. If the Blackhawks win, does that cement them as a dynasty? I mean, I, I would tend to lean towards the side of yes. I mean, so, because to me, a, a dynasty isn't defined just by titles won. I, I think it, it's years in succession of success. I mean, the, the, the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s, four straight Super Bowls. So many people say, mm-hmm. well, that's not, a, that's not a dynasty because they, they didn't win a, a championship, but they won four AFC championships, the, the Eagles. As much as I don't like the Eagles, you know, that their run of any NFC championship games and then getting to one Super Bowl, I mean, that that's a very close argument. If that's not a dynasty, it's the damn closest thing to it right. because of their domination and getting that far. I mean, I'd like to think that, that getting to the finals um, is an important part of, of being a dynasty, but... Yeah, I, I I would lean towards the, the Blackhawks being a dynasty. What and about you? Say, I'd say, it, going by your definition, I guess they, they already are. Um, because you're right. I mean, they, they've had the success regardless of if they've won the Cup in the end or not, um, starting, unfortunately, against my Flyers. And then they've just, <laughs> since that season, they've just kind of, I think they missed the next year. And then every year after that, they've been, really a solid team. So um, I would say yes, too, for them and, I guess, for the L.A. Kings as well. Uh, the, the L.A. Kings, I mean, yes, they, they've, they've had, you know, the, the multiple championships, but, but I think the year after they, they won the first one, I think they missed the, the playoffs. Like the, the San Francisco Giants, they won, missed the playoffs, won again. And it's hard for me to call that a dynasty because your team – take such a large step back the next year. Um, but, but multiple years in succession uh, where you're so close. I mean, hell, had the New York Rangers, uh, you know, made it to, to, the, to the finals again this year and possibly won, I mean, they would have been right on the edge of what a dynasty is. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a person that doesn't just define dynasties by titles won. I, I, you know, I think getting to the finals in multiple seasons – you know, and, and and if you do that, winning one definitely cements yourself. Otherwise, you're you're close. You have to look at the full body of work over those years, but but it's definitely definitely close. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah no. you, and you you brought up about the injuries. Um, mm-hmm. There was a report that that uh, Matt Zuccarello for the for the Rangers, and this is unbelievable. In, in round one, took a shot off the head. It was uh, he he said he had a, a fracture in his skull. He had um, a, a brain bruise um, and for a short time had lost the ability to speak. He actually had to go to a speech class. And he was, had the Rangers made the finals, he was going to attempt to play in game one. Now, that doesn't show you what that, with this, this title and, and, and the toughness of these players really is. 
Uh, now, obviously, he would have had to have been cleared to play, but but you know, uh, three weeks or a month or so ago, the guy lost the ability to speak because of taking a puck off of his head, and he was going to try to play tonight. Yeah, that's that's unreal. Yeah, I mean, it 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 is it it, it it's, it's scary. Like I mean, it, it it it's unbelievable. I know there was a guy, um, the the Flyers captain a few years ago, who had separated both shoulders and played, I think, three rounds with two separated shoulders. Yeah, and I mean, the the guy had the stroke on the bench and came back and played. It's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. It, it's unbelievable. Just... Uh, the, the guy for the Stars last year, who um, whose heart actually stopped, and they had to like force him to not play that night. <laughs> I mean, you see, like baseball players getting a hangnail, and they they, they refuse to play, and yeah. hockey players are having strokes and brain bruises, and and you have to force them off of the ice. Yeah, it's it's unreal. I mean it. There's a lot to be said about, you know, what these guys do. And um, I, just, I still don't understand how they, you know, of the four major sports, they, they make the least amount of money because they're the ones that are putting their bodies on the line the most at this point. And um, I really hope that changes in the future. I really do, too. In in, in my, you know, in, in order of, of who should make the most, hockey would be number one, football obviously number two, and then I'd probably even put basketball above baseball. Um, just, you know, I understand that baseball has a longer season in terms of number of games, but I still feel like with, with, with basketball, I mean, they're pretty close in terms of, um, you know, injury dangers. Um, you know, both sports are... are in terms of of a real hard contact, are are you know they're it's few and far between. So you know the, those two sports be close, but absolutely football and hockey the worst, and, and hockey by far the. I mean you're you're talking, you know football. Yes, it, you know it's a it's a hit on every play, but they play once a week and they only play you know for a couple of months. Where hockey plays for more months and plays you know what three to four games per week. So Absolutely, you know, hockey. It is it's ridiculous that they they make the least out of any sport, and and I do. I really hope, like you, I hope it changes. Uh, I hope it changes soon. Yeah, I think. I mean, the Stanley Cup is really the best time. I know, you know that that comes from there not being as big of a market, but there really should be. And I think if you know it got the advertising and the promotion is if more people would just give you know, hockey the chance, um, I think the money would start to pour in. It's just, for some reason, it hasn't caught on, and I'm still confused as to why, especially if, you know, you invite a casual sports fan to watch the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, they'd be hooked, I have to think. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've had many of many people that have been uh, said, they, they've thought about getting into hockey, and I said, Watch during the finals and watch with at least one other hockey fan during the finals, whether they're a fan of the team that's in it or not, because the passion that hockey fans have for the sport and for the finals just bleeds through and, and attracts people. I mean, I know I had, you know, multiple friends in college that had never watched a hockey game before, but I used to go it was about a 45 minute drive from Kutztown to Hershey 
So I would drive there and go to, to games almost every weekend, sometimes both Saturday and Sunday, uh, up to Bears games. And, and many times I had friends of mine go with me who had never watched a minute of hockey and never had been to a game. And then they came out of there. They were buying shirts and stuff as we were leaving because they were so hooked. And it was part of the passion for me, but just part because they were like, wow, this is really exciting. Like, I want to watch it more. And they still watch hockey to this day. And that was over uh, That was over 10 years ago in, in some cases. So you have to find the right thing. But no matter, you talk about why it hasn't caught on. Um, I, I listen to the Steve Zabin show most mornings. And earlier this week, they were talking about the finals a little bit. And um, I think that's part of the problem, too, is, is it's not covered nationally um, by, by most, you know, big sports talk shows. And, and, like, ESPN and stuff only has, you know, small clips here and there. It doesn't get as much mainstream coverage. But the Steven Zavin guys are talking about, and Zavin said uh, that hockey is uh, – in like the way he he compares hockey is like the sushi of sports, where not a lot of people have tried it, mm-hmm. but the the majority of the people who have tried it uh, love it, and will will eat it up as much as they can. They they yeah. and they would pay they would pay as much as they can to get a get a buffet of it, and they they just won't stop taking it in, and. That really clicked with me. I mean, I've never tried sushi. I'm not a seafood guy. I don't. I've never tried it. But I have so many friends that the first time they tried it, they loved it. And you know, they go out once a month or once every other week for sushi, and they eat sushi until seaweed's coming out of their nose. So, but it, it, that that I thought that that quote was was brilliant and was perfect. It was the perfect analogy for the uh for the game of hockey because yeah once you get a taste of it the majority of people do like it because in 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 the in the u.s i don't want to generalize but we love um fast-paced we loved hard-hitting violent sports and what is you know what besides football what sport is more fast more violent and more hard-hitting than hockey. There's nothing. You know, UFC, boxing, they may be more violent, but they're not more fast-paced no. than, than hockey is. And, there's a, and, and really, if you think about it, you know, football, every, the, the average play lasts, what, 10 seconds? And then you have a minute and a half of downtime, and sure, you see replays. But, but really, football is the, or hockey, it, to me, is the most fast-paced, most fast-paced sport that we have. And it just it blows my mind that it that it has in spurts, but that it hasn't grown more in the United States. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. I mean that that analogy is just perfect, um, especially when it comes to my marriage because the morning when I first started dating, she didn't like sushi or hockey, and now she loves both of them. So um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that is perfect, and and people have called into question this series. Um, especially if it would have been Anaheim. And the question has come up, uh, is this series, is this matchup good uh, for hockey in terms of ratings, in terms of getting eyes on the uh, on the sport? And just looking over the last couple of years, since, the, since NBC has taken over main coverage of, uh, of the NHL, that started in the 2006 season, um, 
these were the average ratings uh, for each game in the Stanley Cup Finals. Go back to 2006 when the Hurricanes uh, defeated the Edmonton Oilers in seven games, 1.8. The next year, Anaheim over Ottawa, 1.2. It jumped a little bit in 2008, 2.6 for Detroit-Pittsburgh. 3.1 in 2009, again Detroit-Pittsburgh. Uh, in 2010, Chicago-Philadelphia had a 3.4. That was actually the best um, in the last 10 years. 2011, Boston-Vancouver did a 2.7. 2012, uh, the Kings over the Devils did a 1.8. Chicago-Boston in 2013 did a 3.3. And last year did a 2.8. Now, there's been particular games that have spiked pretty high. The Game 7... In 2011, Boston-Vancouver did 4.8. Um, wow. the, the final game of Chicago-Philly did a 4.7, 4.3 for Game 7, Pittsburgh-Detroit. So you, you see numbers up in the four, so you're talking about 8 million people viewing. But, you know, since, since, the, since the plateau there of, uh, of, you know, like the Boston-Vancouver series, then it dropped. LA, you know, unless you're getting these bigger markets, unless you're getting the Chicago's, Boston, Philly, New York, even last year, New York, uh, LA did it, did only did a two eight, yeah, you know, because you know, wow. LA, it's not a huge market, so you have you you had the Rangers there, mm-hmm. but like even Pittsburgh, Detroit only did three ones, you know, and a two six, so. You know, th- th- those numbers are a little concerning. Now, you know, you're looking at a series here where you get Chicago, you get Tampa Bay. Now, I don't know how how it's been growing in recent years, but the girl I dated in college, her brother-in-law and her sister and brother-in-law had lived in the, in St. Petersburg uh, the, the first time Tampa Bay went to the finals uh, back in 2004. Um, and they were originally from here. They were Flyers fans, and that was the year I think the Flyers played Tampa Bay in the conference final. They said uh-huh. they walked up day of game at St. Petersburg and bought lower bowl tickets day of game for the Eastern Conference final. Um, and I think hockey has grown uh, in uh-huh. Tampa since then. Um, you know, so so I'd like to one see you know the ticket sale numbers. For Tampa Bay, I mean the the arena looked packed tonight. I think it's gotten bigger, especially with younger talent like Stamkos and those and those guys down there. But I, I'm really going to be curious to see what the what the viewing numbers is. Now, I also think part of the problem with this is you know at least in the at least in the early part. I mean 2006 through like 2009. The, uh, it was originally the uh, Outdoor Life Network changed to Versus. Now it's NBC Sports Network. But that station was a little bit hard to find. It wasn't, um, you know, as Outdoor Life Network and as Versus, it, it didn't have the identity it does now. Um, so, so that's kind of changed only in the last couple of years. But now I'm curious to see what happens here with these teams. Do I think this is a bad matchup for the sport? No. Because I think getting some of your your bigger younger stars like the Stamkoses out, you know, and then Ben Bishop, the goalie, is it's huge. He's six six eight or something like that. So he's a guy that people, you know, people love goalies. And and to see a guy that's that big in net, I think it'd be good too. And of course, you have the guys like Caves and 
and uh, and Kane and those guys in Chicago. So I, I think this has potential to be good. Um, starting starting the uh, the series on NBC can be good because if people get attached to it, I think more people uh, have the ability to, to to watch whether it's whether it's on uh, TV or, or online, and that's effect, that's going to affect your ratings as well. But yeah. but I don't necessarily think this this matchup's bad. I'm curious to see the numbers though. Yeah, I never really put too much thought into how the big market would play in the NHL. Um, you know, I know that I've looked into that in the past when it comes to Super Bowls and certainly in the NBA and uh, and baseball. But um, you know, hockey is such a funny sport because even in you know some of the bigger markets, like you said, LA, hockey's not really that big out west. But um, you know, if we got you know more of a Canadian team, and then you you kind of have like the patriotic thing get people into it. But even the numbers you said for the Vancouver finals weren't that huge. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what this one does, and um, it'll be interesting to to look at that in the future to see how much the sport truly is growing in the U.S. as compared to Canada. Yeah, and I mean the the, the comforting thing, um, with the exception of Game Three last year. Uh, the, the numbers per game went up um, the years prior. As when, when it came down to games that could clinch, you look towards like game five last year, games five and six the year before, game six. You know the, the, the games that the cup is, excuse me, in house, the ratings have gone up. If you can just get people to tune in throughout the series, I think that's good. But I think you're you're at least. You know, because you look at the numbers here for the cup clinching games. Last year was a three-seven. The year prior was a four-seven. Um, before that, a three-one, and that was the year your average viewership was a one-point-eight. Um, there was only one game at a two, and then the, the clinching game was at a three. The year before, four-eight. The year before that, the, the Blackhawks Flyers series was a four-seven. So when the cup is being clinched you're getting eyes on the product, which is a good thing. Anytime you get more, more eyes on the product, it's good. But it's converting that into more viewers throughout the season. And, and I think the NHL needs to do a better job at getting its, itself out there during the season, um, advertising more during football games, advertising more during basketball games, during the baseball playoffs. And and I know now that I think they do two games on NBC Sports Network a week, but get one on a weekend, um, yeah. you know, on a, on a Saturday evening or something. I know you're going to compete with football, but you know, find a way to get get more games out there because the more that your product is out there, the more people are going to try and consume it. If there's only two games a week, people are number one going to forget about it, and two people just aren't going to care. But if you can get get it out there and and you know bring more of a rotation around, I think that's the key too. Stop just feeding us the Penguins all the time. Stop just feeding us the Blackhawks all the time, because if there's people in these markets, you know, oh you know I'm here in Minnesota, and I see a Wild game, then I might start watching it more on the on the local channel. So, I think I think the NHL is is is, is developing the game a little bit. And, ca- and if they can capitalize on the, the Olympic season, I think that'll be big uh, for them too. Um, Matt, what uh, so much stuff, obviously, uh, we, we've talked about here. Um, let's get down to, down to predicting. I mean, I know, you know we, we look at this and, 
And you, you know, you see see the stats about. I mean, I think that they. I, I heard earlier uh, that the the Lightning are undefeated in this playoffs when leading after one. The Blackhawks here are are uh, thirty two and zero this this uh, this whole season when leading after two periods. Uh, Chicago, some argue, have had the um, the harder road here. Tampa Bay being inexperienced, Matt. All of this stuff all thrown together. Uh, what is your prediction for this series? I am going to take Chicago in six. Um, I think Tampa will get the the win tonight. Um, and you know, playing in Tampa is always tough because that the stadium is weird and the ice is always soupy, but. Um, I'm going to give them the win tonight, and I think Chicago is going to rip off, you know, three, and then Tampa will get one, and then Chicago will clinch it in six. Okay, not a bad pick. Um, I, I honestly, um, I honestly think that yes, the experience for Chicago is um, is, is critical, but um, and, and it is currently one nothing after two. Uh, I see a stat here: the Lightning, 33-0-2 this season, and 8-0 in the postseason when leading after two. Uh, we'll try and keep tabs throughout the show tonight um, uh, on the score to uh, to keep you updated on that. I wrote down before before the game started tonight. I wrote down on my sheet here: uh, Lightning in six. I think Chicago's. Um, you know, I, I think their road actually. I'm going to be one that argues that their road to this series has actually been a little bit easier. Um, uh, Nashville, uh, a young team, doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. They, they've pushed Chicago to the limit in six games. The Minnesota Wild, again, not a lot of playoff experience on that team. They swept them. Anaheim, and you look at Anaheim, and it, just a few numbers I pulled up here. Um, the Ducks have now lost three straight game sevens at home. Teams coached by Bruce Boudreaux, and this is for the Caps fans that still think the, the Caps did the wrong thing years ago by firing him. <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux now one in six in game sevens. All of those losses, all six losses in game seven at home, including this year against Chicago. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging Bruce. I love Bruce. He, he won a Calder cup here in Hershey. Um, and, uh, and, and I think is a spectacular person taking nothing away from him, but, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire with stuff like that. Um, they, uh, the, the the Blackhawks, I think, have had the easier road, in my opinion. The Lightning, yes, they've had more games. They run out. Um, you know, they've had seven game series, a six game series, and a seven game series. Um, but I think, uh, you know, they were gut checked against the Rangers and they came out on top. I like the Lightning in this series uh, in in six games. So um, I, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, it, it, it kind of sucks that uh, we didn't. Get, I'm not getting to watch uh, all of this one, but uh, from here on out, I'm going to be tuned in uh, big time uh, for the remainder of this series. Um, but uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm just definitely, definitely looking forward uh, uh, to this one. Um, Anthony's going to be filling us in. He, he's. Uh, we were going to have him try and come on the air, a friend of the show and co- uh, one of our co-hosts, Anthony Marchetto. Uh, we're going to try and get him on to talk some Belmont, um, but uh, he is—he uh, is actually out of the country right now. He is unable to uh, to get any devices to cooperate to call in. He's going to be tweeting in a, a few thoughts uh, on the Belmont stakes, uh, and so we will 
relay those a little bit later when we get to that portion of the show. A lot of NFL news is a lot of uh, uh, OTAs beginning this week. And if you want to call in and talk about anything, give us your Stanley Cup prediction. Talk about any topics we're hitting. Again, 724-444-7444 is the number. The call ID to enter is 136-117. And then the pound sign and follow the prompt. So uh, if you want to call in, you can do that. If you don't want to call in, tweet in like Anthony's doing at at Big Jim Sports uh, is where you can find me on Twitter. Um, Matt, obviously the biggest news here um, in in the last couple days is uh, Adrian Peterson. There's been so much in this offseason about what is Adrian Peterson going to do. He, he kept saying he did not want to return to the Vikings, did not want to return to the Vikings. The Vikings uh, have said in, in, in the last couple of weeks that if he doesn't return to the Vikings, he can't go anywhere else. So it was basically return to the Vikings or retire. You had the Cowboys fans and and, and NFL fans around keep, keep trying to sell this notion that the Cowboys were going to make some sort of play uh, for Adrian Peterson. That was never the case. Um, you know, I have I have a couple of guys, uh, insiders down near Dallas, that uh, that were letting me know. Look, no, don't believe any of the talk. Don't believe any of the chatter on Twitter. Adrian Peterson is not and will not uh, be a part of the Dallas Cowboys uh, this year, or you know, as far as they know. Uh, the uh, the going forward. So Mike Zimmer uh, last week, again, he said um, Peterson would play for the Vikings or no one. And uh, Adrian Peterson, much to the surprise of a lot of people, um, came out and, and, and practiced yesterday. He told ESPN's Jusina Anderson, I've decided to come back to get around my teammates and the coaching staff. There's n- There's never been any love loss with those guys. Basically, it's time for me to come in and test the waters, re-familiarize myself with their offense and the direction they're trying to go. Um, which basically sounds like, yeah, I, I tried leveraging. Uh, I threatened to retire. Nothing worked. I'm back in Minnesota. Really, isn't that what that sounds like to you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it sounded like he was saying, well, you know, I want to play somewhere else. And Minnesota was saying, well, too bad. We're not going to pay you to play anywhere else. You're going to play here. You're not going to play. And now he's kind of, I mean, he's doing the diplomatic thing of, you know, making it seem like it wasn't a thing when I'm pretty certain that it was the whole time. Yeah, I, I really think it was. And, you know, uh, after what happened last year, and it's been a crazy year, you know, you go back to last fall and everything that happened with Adrian Peterson. Um, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to say that I wouldn't be upset at, at my team or I wouldn't be upset at the Vikings um, for, I don't want to say the way they treated him, but I, I feel like at, at points um, he was, I don't, I don't even want to say blackballed, but there was points throughout the process where I felt the Minnesota Vikings, um, because there wasn't a lot of information about uh, the whole situation, they just seemed like from the, from the word go, that they that they just wanted to quickly separate themselves from the situation. In no way am I trying to justify what Adrian Peterson did. But right. the, the 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 thing is is I mean it it was a it was a difficult situation. It was a 
multi-layered situation. It wasn't black and white. It wasn't cut and dry. No matter what anybody wants to say, it truly wasn't. Um, you know, so so, it, so it, it, it's just been, um, you know, it's been a wild year. And, and, and Peterson touched on that um, yesterday when he talked about. It. He said this past year has been emotional for both parties involved. Uh, he said he's learned a lot from his mistake in moving forward. He's focused on what's in front of him. He went on to say, "I'm quote, I'm going to be absolutely 100% with you. With everything going on in my life during that time, I really didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know if I wanted to play somewhere else. I didn't know if I wanted to retire. And if I wanted to go off, uh, just change it up differently, do something different. Um, he said uh, receiving advice from his parents and advisor really played a big role. Um, and, and Vikings coach Zimmer, and no surprise here, uh, seemed pretty happy with the return. He said there's, a, there's not a prettier sight than when Peterson's got the ball in his hands. Um, and, and, and really that's the bottom line um, is, you know, everybody can talk about, you know, the, the, the type of person he is or whatever. I'm not going to get into that. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in, in that people make mistakes um, and things like that. You know, for all, for all we know, you know, this, this was a one-time situation. I don't read into things like some people do. I'm not TMZ. I'm not, you know, pro football TMZ uh, that, that's all over NBC. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to write a narrative that I, that I just don't know is true or not. So, to me, the guy made a mistake. For for all you know, for all we can tell at this point, he's he's learned from it and is moving forward. Um, so for the Vikings. This is a, you know, what happened last year, in a way, with Peterson not being on the field, not the whole situation, but with Peterson not being on the field, in a way, can almost be looked at as a blessing in disguise. And what I mean by that, because I can already, like, hear people uh, uh, tweeting and rushing to their phones going, what the hell do you mean that what Adrian Peterson did was a blessing. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you have a guy who is one of the best running backs in football, arguably the best in football. And he, he, he pretty much missed an entire year. He didn't get beat up for an entire year while you had a young team developing. So you have yeah. a rookie quarterback that's now not in his rookie year. You have younger guys that have, that have, a, have a year of experience under their belt and now you have an Adrian Peterson coming back healthy, recharged, and refreshed. If that's not a recipe for a team to be getting better and to be improved and to be looking, you know, to, to make some noise in the NFC, which I think that the Vikings can do, yeah, that's why I'm saying it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you look at the Vikings, and um, I mean, they have a defense that they've been kind of building through the draft the last few years. Um, Bridgewater is uh, looking like he could be a, a solid NFL quarterback. They have some exciting people at receiver, and now with a healthy Peterson, um, you know it's it's kind of hard to pick against them doing big things. You know, it's I mean the Packers are obviously going to be good as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy, but beyond that, um, no one in the NFC North is really super impressive. So uh, it certainly is possible that the Vikings are going to come out and compete for the division this year. 
Well, you you got to almost think that they could compete for the conference in, in a way. I mean, I know that seems very far-fetched, but you look at the NFC East, you know, in, in my opinion, is that uh, the right, NFC right. East is Dallas or Philadelphia, and even in Philly there's a lot of questions. I mean, in Dallas it's going to, you know, everything hinders on Romo's back, and, and if untested running backs uh, can, can, can control that team, and if the defense can hold up. Like you said, in the north, besides Green Bay, you got nothing. Um, you know, in the west, it's Seattle and nobody else. I mean, you know, Arizona maybe is getting better, but the Forty Niners, the Forty Niners are just crumbling. The Rams, uh, you know, are not going to be very good. And in the South, uh, you know, you, you got to think that it's it, it's Carolina and everybody else. So I, I don't think the NFC the NFC as a whole is very deep. So you get a fresh Peterson, you get, you know, like I said, all those guys uh, with experience. And you look at it, you look at the, the Vikings defense, and you look at that secondary with Harrison Smith and all those guys that were banged up a year ago, they come back healthy. If this team can stay healthy, not only, with, like, like you said, do they compete for the division, but I think you're talking about a team that could potentially be competing in January. Yeah. They can certainly make some noise in the playoffs if they get there, um, you know, being so young, a lot of speed on the offense and a lot of speed on the defense. And uh, as we've seen in the past, that really comes in big when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, and something that can't be overlooked is is this year, and I'm not sure if next year still, but you, you have the Vikings playing outdoors. So, you know, what happens if in January the the Panthers have to come to Minnesota for a playoff game or – you know, even Seattle has to come to Minnesota for a playoff game, or Dallas has to come to Minnesota for a playoff game. That's something that, you know, because the Vikings are going to be practicing in it during the week um, to, to, pre- to prepare for it. But you can't prepare for potentially uh, zero-degree weather and snow in Dallas and in Carolina and Seattle and, uh, you know, Arizona. Those are Those are things you can't keep control of, and that's why – I understand Minnesota wants to play indoors, but I thought that when the building uh, building the new stadium as a dome stadium, and I know it goes beyond that because they want to host Super Bowls there and, and have bigger events there, and I get that, but having the option for an open-air stadium, for a retractable stadium, to have the potential for these, uh, you know, these mid-winter outdoor games, I think would have been huge as opposed to just doing another dome up there because you know people people can say home field isn't a big deal but i think the nfl is one of those sports that it absolutely is a big deal because of weather and you can't control it and and having that advantage could play big for uh for minnesota this year potentially as well yeah definitely i mean i it's i always thought that it was a smart idea for those teams to kind of embrace the weather like Green Bay does, you know, and Chicago to an extent. You know, make the teams come beat us in our conditions where we're used to it. Uh, so you're right. It's I understand it too, but at the same time, you know, the last dome didn't work out so well. Maybe this time let's keep it open air and, you know, start to embrace the elements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, so, so Adrian Peterson back, uh, and 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 Minnesota having the potential 
uh, I, I think, a great things this year. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, obviously it's, it's June. It's the, it's the 3rd of June, mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot of things that will happen between now and when the season kicks off. But, you know, right now you, you have to think that this plays a huge, huge factor into not only the Vikings, not only the NFC North, but the NFC as a whole. Uh, going forward, Matt, an unfortunate story uh, to, to move to, um, though, coming out of Atlanta last week. And, uh, you know, this is something that, uh, that you know, piqued my, my attention more uh, because he, he is a, a graduate of Notre Dame. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons have, have waived Prince Shembo, linebacker Prince Shembo, uh, after he was charged uh, last Friday in the killing of his now former girlfriend's dog, um, I guess he, the dog, a uh, which was a uh, Yorkie named Dior, uh, had been left at his apartment on April 15th. At some point, um, uh, she, he was left alone with the dog. When she found the dog later, it was unresponsive. Uh, the dog had died from blunt force trauma. The team said in a statement, we are aware of the charges that have been filed against Princhimbo. We're extremely disappointed that one of our players is involved in something like this. Accordingly, we have decided to waive Prince Shembo. Um, the the a necropsy or an, a, a, a canine autopsy uh, was done on April 21st. Uh, the results of it, and and this is I actually saw a more detailed report uh, last week, but the uh, dog suffered extensive injuries, including a fractured rib, abdominal hemorrhage, head trauma, eye injuries and excessive bruising in the muscles of his front legs and shoulders. Um, just absolutely disgusting. I mean, I, I, even saying that, it, like, it brings this, like, pit up to the bottom of my throat. Like, I want to, like, I want to throw up. It just sounds absolutely um, just disgusting. Um, just a, a horrifying report, Matt. Before we dig into this story a little bit, what was your first thought when you, when you heard this story? Um, <laughs> my initial thought led to Mike Vick and, you know, here's another incident that Atlanta has to deal with where, you know, one of their players and, you know, this time that is high caliber, you know, Prince Shembo wasn't really making waves in Atlanta, but still a player on the team is having issues with animal abuse. And it's just, you read more about the story and it's just, I mean, I know you have a dog. I have a dog. I I can't imagine, you know, doing that kind of harm to my dog. You know, even if it was, you know, the dog of someone that I'm not really happy with, to think to get to that level, it's just there's something going on upstairs that's not going on, you know, that that should never be a thought that crosses anyone's mind. Yeah, and and I know the the guys that Steve Davin and and a couple other shows I listened to, you know, brought up about that is is, you know, for the second time in in this uh, in the last you know what ten ten to fifteen years, the the Falcons have to deal with this situation of of animal abuse from one of their players, and and um, you know, and, and obviously in, in this off season, the Falcons had to deal with the the, the sanctions from the NFL because of pumping in crowd noise. Um, you know, so so it's it's not a good time for the Falcons organization. Um, yeah, just reading the report, and I think about my dog. And my dog, I have a, it's a half it's a Lhasa poodle mix, 
a smaller dog, about 25 pounds. Uh, Yorkie's even smaller than that. And, and to, to hear the report and, and to, to read the, the injury suffered by this dog, I, to, you know, first of the, I mean, the first question obviously is, is why. I mean, what, what, what kind of mind frame do you have to be in to, to do that to, to any animal, to any living thing? Um, yeah. And it is it, just horrifying. And, of course, as the story kind of played out, and, and I kind of honestly forgot about this, um, but it came up, uh, Shembo, 23 years old, fourth-round pick out of Notre Dame in 2014. Um, he, it was, he admitted during the draft process, the interview process, that he was the player under investigation at Notre Dame in 2010 uh, of a St. Mary College student uh, in South Bend, Lizzie Seberg, um, who had killed herself less than two weeks after alleging that uh, she was inappropriately touched by a member of the Notre Dame uh, football team. Shembo never charged in that process because, obviously, with, with the the, har- the horrific suicide Miss uh, um, Seberg, uh, there there was no way to gather more information on the situation. You know, because back when that investigation happened, you didn't know that it was him, but you know, you wanted to raise doubts about the information surrounding it because um, you know sometimes, and I'm not I'm not saying this is a blank blanket statement about that specific situation, but when you have people in a public eye. Um, or of any type of fame, there are people who want to bring them down. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not saying women want to bring them down. I don't want to say that people are crying uh, rape or anything like that. I'm just saying in general, there are people that want to see those in power fall. You know, so, so when there was, the investigation was closed, it was like, look, the investigation was closed. I understand there's no in, more information uh, to, to gather uh, tragically, it was a tragic situation, um, and and but there was nothing else. But now, when you hear that it was him, and now you see this situation, you go back to that situation and wonder, was he guilty? You know, it really issue, uh, hangs a huge cloud over him and over that entire situation. As ugly as it was, it gets even uglier with with, with what happened with Shembo and this dog. Yeah, I mean. Uh... You know, we're both Notre Dame fans, so obviously we knew a little bit about that story. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone knows all the full details of what happened. Oh, Matt, we're uh, we're losing you a little bit here. Uh, you're you're cutting out. Um, but uh, that better? Yes, we we got okay. you back. All right. Yeah, my perception's a little wacky here. Um, I, I was saying, you know, we're both Notre Dame fans, so we we kind of knew the story going in um, to the draft and, and whatnot, um, but we didn't know what all was involved. But, I mean, like you said, this really kind of makes you think back to that and, um, you know, question, you know, as fans, we always want to, you know, give our guys the benefit of the doubt for better or for worse, you know, um, for every situation where something does actually happen, there's, you know, a Duke lacrosse where something didn't happen and, you know, innocent students got their reputations trashed. So, 
you kind of have to be wary as sports fans. And, um, I mean, I know I gave him kind of, I won't say a pass, but I, I was more ready to believe him just because you, you don't want that kind of thing to be true about someone that you've rooted for. But now, you know, hearing these news stories, it's kind of hard to go back and uh, and give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. Right, exactly. And, and I mean, he... I, I will say this, when it, when it comes to this situation, he has never denied that he did it. Uh, he's basically admitted to doing it, which is why, you know, I've tweeted out that I think, you know, he should be punished to the full extent. I mean, you're talking about an NFL, an NFL athlete, uh, you know, mercilessly beating an innocent tiny dog. It doesn't matter. I mean, it wouldn't matter if he did, uh, did this to a larger dog, I would say punish him, but, but a little Yorkie. I mean, you think about how innocent and defenseless that that animal is, um, and say punish him, you know, and and so the the, the whole situation is ugly, and it, and it just uh, it just is not, it's just it's something you never want to see, and and like you said, it's crazy that it's happened, uh, you know, that it was to the to the to the Falcons organization after what happened a couple years ago um, with Michael Vick, and it's just it's just an ugly, unfortunate situation that uh, hopefully, um, you know, never happens again and, and everyone involved in it can, um, can heal and move on and, and get better and learn from it, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, something you never, ever want to see. Let's, let's talk one, one more NFL story. This one, let's brighten it up a little bit. Um, yesterday is something that, you know, it doesn't matter who you're a fan of, who you are not a fan of. Um, the the Browns did something that makes you happy to be a sports fan. It makes you happy to be a person, quite frankly. Uh, the Browns signed nine-year-old Dylan Sutcliffe through Make-A-Wish to a one-day contract as the team celebrates the one-year anniversary of its first in 10 volunteering initial initiative. Um, he uh, was diagnosed with Oh boy, see if I can pronounce this one. Ataxia telling Jacia. I know I butchered that. Um, he joined the Browns uh, for OTAs uh, this week. It was a one-day contract. Um, Browns general manager Ray Farmer said, quote, we're excited to add another quality player to our roster as we prepare for the 2015 season. When we first connected with Dylan, it was clear he was a competitor who had all the attributes, uh, all the right attributes to be a contributor to our team. Dylan is definitely a young man who has all of the play like a brown trait, particularly through his passion, toughness, and relentlessness, um, said head coach Mike Patton. We look forward to seeing him bring that energy to practice this afternoon. Very cool stuff. They had a limousine bring him. They, you know, they got him. Uh, you know, gear with his name on it. Uh, There's very, very cool stuff. More information on it and, and on Dylan uh, and, the, and the whole situation can be found at the Browns website. It's just a very cool thing. Um, you know, us being big wrestling fans, you know, we see John Cena do this. You know, you hear about, you know, Make-A-Wish and, and, and things, uh, you know, across the board. A, a great organization. Um, very cool of the Browns to do this. Um, and, and, and taking something that is so horrible and so, so, uh, sad when, when these kids uh, fall ill, um, but, but bringing them 
a day, a week uh, of fun and, and the memories that will last their entire life um, is just something that that's really, really cool. Yeah, I know you and I both kind of poke at ESPN and Sports Center all the time, but um, you go back and when they do their Make-A-Wish stuff, it's just really awesome to see that kind of stuff. And uh, it gives you a greater appreciation. Like you said, it's it's just a good time to be a sports fan um, just because they, they do this. You know, everyone takes time, especially right now, you know, OTA is kicking off. Things are really getting into gear. And uh, they're taking time to to make a fan's day, um, and it's it's awesome to see. And um, we need more stories like this, and less like the Prince Shemba ones. You know, for every Prince Shemba, I hope we get five of these these good stories that we can you know give us a better understanding of why we support these people because they're not all bad people. Yeah, um, and and that that's true. I, I definitely um, it it it's something that yeah you you you'd, you'd love to see more of. I like uh, that during the um, during the fall, ESPN uh, runs like you said those those my wish segments almost on a daily basis. They had the the kid at Michigan um, with the Michigan football team a year ago, and and you know I, I every time I watch every one of those things, I you know. Um, I swear there's something with the with allergies in the room that I'm watching them in uh, because my my eyes mysteriously begin to water uh, whenever yeah. I watch those. But it, it it's something that's so powerful. And um, you know my 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 family had a loss. My seven year old uh, uh, second cousin passed away. He had health problems his entire life, and he passed away last week. And um, they they he had his uh, his services were this weekend and and he always wanted to be a firefighter um because of my his his uncle is a firefighter his his mom and stepdad are firefighters and he always wanted to be a firefighter and and the the fire companies up uh, in where he lived did full firefighter honors uh, for his for his funeral services and you know obviously you know that that was something in in his in his death that it was, it, you know, he, he had those honors, but he, he spent so much time up there and for, for kids that have, that have illness of some of any kind, um, for these organizations and people to, to go out of their way and to do things to make their life better. I have the utmost respect for, and, um, whether it's something on a small scale or a large scale, um, kids don't know when things are, are big or small because to them everything's big and, and and for these organizations to do uh to do stuff like that is just something that is uh is is, is extra special and uh, really cool so kudos to the browns kudos to make a wish um matt let's, let's take a time out here let's kind of exhale had a, had a couple of heavy stories here uh to close out the first hour uh we're going to take a couple of minutes and then we're going to talk about uh, some college football, NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, and, of course, uh, the Belmont Stakes. So stay tuned on the other side of the break here. Uh, Tuesday, uh, midweek, excuse me, not Tuesday, midweek timeout here on NGSC Sports.
Welcome back. The midweek timeout here on NGSCSports.com. I am your host, Big Jim. We have our co-host, Matt, on the line with us. It is Wednesday, June 3rd. I think I even opened the show by saying Tuesday, June 2nd. It is not Tuesday. Yesterday was Tuesday, and we weren't on the air. But a special Wednesday night uh, version of the show here, and uh, we have Matt on the line with us. Again, if you want to call in to talk to us during the show, the number is 724-444-7444. The call ID 136-117 here tonight. And uh, you can do that, or you can tweet me as we've been getting some tweets into the show um, at at Big Jim Sports. So, uh, Matt, let's um, talk about a couple college football stories, one that I know uh, for us uh, uh, being Notre Dame fans, uh, actually, two of the, of the stories that we're going to talk about are going to make us happy as Notre Dame fans. The first being that the uh, ESPN, uh, I talked about before, I don't remember if it, if it was with you when you were on air with me or if it was somebody else, but uh, Reese Davis no longer with college football final. Uh, Lou Holtz no longer with college football final as, as Lou Holtz uh, um, left ESPN. Um, or they're still retired from ESPN, but I believe he's going to be working at somewhere else. According to the Sports Business Journal, ESPN has removed Mark May from uh, the college football studio show uh, for this coming fall and, and has, has now totally revamped the, the uh, cast for the show. The new trio will feature host Adrian Burke uh, and Joey Galloway and Danny Cannell will provide analysis. Burke uh, has hosted... ESPN programs Baseball Tonight and Oberman. Uh, Galloway has been a college football analyst since 2012. Danny Cannell has done analysts during Friday night games last season. The new trio will appear during halftime and after games and will be featured on both ESPN and ABC. Mark May, who has been with the show since 2001, will still be involved in a uh, college focus show with host John Saunders and co-analyst and former Texas coach Mac Brown. So he's not totally going away, but um, he, he's not going to be as much of a prominent feature uh, in ESPN with, um, with, with Mark May, which, of course, makes me happy. I think the guy is a complete windbag. But, uh, but um, Matt, how do you feel about this one? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never been a big fan of his. Um, just, you know, always seeming, you know, for as big of a homer as, as Lou was, it, it seemed like Mark was just kind of there to give the absolute opposite opinion just for the sake of being antagonistic towards Lou. So, um, and I mean, I'm, I love Lou, but I'm glad to see him gone too. It was kind of getting harder and harder each season to to defend Lou Holtz. Um, as, now if we could just get rid of Desmond Howard on a game day, I think I'd be, <laughs> I'd be the happiest person there is. Oh, Desmond! Desmond is one of the worst, uh, and and his his um, I don't know how I want to describe it. His his bias towards Michigan just gets worse year after year after year, and his anti Notre Dame gets year after year after year. I guess he has to pick up even some of the slack from Mark May, and it's probably only going to get worse now. But um, yeah, you know, you know, I, I don't judge him as a guy, but as as a broadcaster. Uh, his, Mark May's unrelenting hatred of Notre Dame was just unreal. I mean, everybody wanted to talk about 
how annoying Lou Holtz's love of Notre Dame was, but they never had any problem with Mark May's, uh, you know, anti-Notre Dame bias that was just as equal as Holtz's. The only thing I enjoyed uh, on there, on, and I don't want to say the only thing I enjoyed, but the thing I enjoyed most with with, with May and Holtz was their um, the the court the court thing where Reese Davis would be the judge and they would have an argument and then two guys would get to make an argument because you had Mushmouth on one side and, and a windbag on the other. And uh, it was just perfect. It was brilliant stuff to see Mark May and, and Lou Holtz go back and forth every week. I always enjoyed that. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, I hope with, with, with the revamp show, I hope they still do the helmet sticker thing. I, I always enjoyed that. I always like seeing the wrap-up show each and every week. Look forward to that. I'd, I'd DVR it. I wouldn't stay up till 3 in the morning a lot of nights. I'd, I'd wake up and, um, you know, I'd have my breakfast and my morning coffee. And as I was starting to uh, put put my fantasy football lineups together, um, I would I would put on uh, the, the college football final um, replay. So I always enjoyed the show. Hopefully the new guys will still do something. They'll still do the helmet stickers. But I always enjoyed the show. Yeah, it, it is a... Uh... It was a good show, and you were right. I did like the courtroom stuff. It's just um, towards the end there, it was, it was kind of getting to me a bit much with um, both of them just kind of, you know, being caricatures of their former self at that point. So um, it would be nice to see some some new new life in that show. And um, I mean, it is a great program, and you know, I have I have confidence that they'll be able to do well moving forward with their new panel. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think every everything, every show uh, has its 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 shelf life, and um, you know, for for college football final with those three, and and maybe it'll even get a new name. I'm not sure, but uh, with those, um, you know, with those with those with a new with a new cast, maybe a new name, uh, it'll breathe new life into that program, and and it, it's like you said, it could certainly use it. Um, Matt, the, the University of Alabama Birmingham football program, which uh, was announced that it was disbanded back in uh, December, will be reinstated in 2016. This, according to University President Ray Watts, uh, he confirmed it to the Associated Press on Monday um, after the uh, controversial shutdown of the program on the heels of their six and six record uh, under first-year cl- coach Bill Clark. The the UAB Football Foundation raised more than $15 million in donations to try and save the team. He said that the external sources have pledged $17.2 million, but it was also laid out principles to uh, that must be satisfied for the reinstatement process to move forward. Uh, those being, one, maintaining but not exceeding, quote, our institutional support for athletics at its current level, Number two, timelines for meeting pledges, both public and private, and having money available soon. Uh, three, setting a reasonable uh, fundraising timetable that provides every chance for success and that does not involve borrowing money to build athletic facilities. Um, so uh, kind of a crazy story, kind of a wild story. Um it, it it it's it's something that you know I I know caught me off guard I, again I I don't know the full details about everything that occurred uh, but something that's very exciting here uh, to see a team come back I know that the community down there was shocked and 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 the the, the players were were broken hearted and and a lot of that 
but a very cool thing that they'll, they'll get to be reinstated now. Um, Matt, your thoughts on this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, people in the South, man, don't mess with their football. And uh, now that they're getting it back, uh, it's, it's good for the school. You know, football, hate it or love it, it brings in a ton of revenue for any college program that, you know, naively I'm going to say they can use to, to fund other things, but they're just going to dump it back into the program. So I can't really use that as an argument. But um, it is good to have, you know, these programs at the school, um, you know, bring it back. You know, and make UAB kind of relevant again because it's, you know, you used to hear their name. I remember, you know, going through college, I heard UAB all the time, and it's been a while since I've heard it in a positive way. So hopefully they can, you know, kind of put this all behind them and really, you know, keep it around. Yeah, Andrew tweeted into the show. Uh, he said uh, they never should have closed the program in the first place, and I agree. Uh, just check it in on the NHL score. Things aren't looking so good for Tampa Bay now. Two to one Chicago, two goals in the third period for the Blackhawks. Four thirty-four uh currently remaining in that game. Uh so we'll try and keep uh keep posted on this game uh, as as we continue to move forward in this show. But again, two to one Blackhawks with four thirty-four uh remaining in the third period. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that, um, the you know, you don't see teams drop football a lot because, you know, in most situations it's the football team that, uh, that, that you know, funds the rest of the athletic department and, and is, is such a huge moneymaker and this and that. So when the rug got pulled out at UAB, it was something that was very surprising. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully they can meet these goals. Hopefully they can get uh, – they can get – get back and, and the program can, can get back and become successful. And, um, you know, it's a shame that these kids, um, you know, lost their opportunity to play there and, and had, had to kind of uproot their college plans and things like that. But um, hopefully they can, uh, hopefully they can get back on track. Matt, the other story or, or the, the stories that uh, are, are huge, huge news mm-hmm. for us. And I think, you know, where I'm going with these, um, Notre Dame reinstating both Kivari Russell and um, Eshak Williams to the football team. No official word, I guess, has come out of uh, of the school, but um, Kivari Russell took the social media, just said, "Thank you, hashtag Thank you Notre Dame, I'm back." Um, Going to re-enroll there, Eshak Williams, uh, uh, the same. Both of these guys missed last season uh, because of a um, academic uh, situation, an academic fraud investigation. Um, this is huge. I mean, this, this is absolutely huge. Notre Dame been in the news a lot lately with uh, with Everett Golson uh, exiting Florida State, obviously putting uh, Malik Zaire in line uh, for the quarterback job, which I think only makes Notre Dame better. You have an offensive line that is is has got to be. I don't I don't know the exact numbers, so you know, so don't uh, don't completely judge me if I have some of the numbers wrong. But an offensive line that is going to have to be uh, at least in competition for the biggest in college football, probably the best. Excuse me, that Brian Kelly has had since he's been at Notre Dame. You know, you get 
Kavari Russell back. You get Eshaq Williams back. You, you know, the, 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 the guys in place or the rest of that offense that grew a year ago, uh, you know, are going to have more, more momentum uh, around them. You, you, you didn't lose a lot of guys. There wasn't a lot of seniors on that team. Everybody was underclassmen, and most of the guys that were underclassmen, uh, you know, are returning to this school. Um, so, this, to me, this, this is so huge because you have two guys that are so critical, I thought, especially in Kavari Russell, to the potential success of the, the Fighting Irish a year ago. Uh, now back again, similar to how we talked about with Adrian Peterson, fresh and ready to go and recharge. Yeah, um, I mean, you and I have, have talked a few times about, you know, the guys that got suspended, and we we said, you know, Daniels would be gone. We expected Russell to come back. Uh, Moore and Hardy, I think, graduated, so we didn't think they would be back. And I think you and I both were under the impression that Ishak would be gone as well or transfer. So for him to come back, uh, as well as Russell, is just tremendous for a defense that was already returning 10 of 11 starters for next year. Um, so, I mean, this is certainly the most talented team Kelly will have had, in my opinion, um, even with the loss of Bolson, because we have uh, Zaire still, who's who looked good in his one debut, and we have um, some guys, Winchell, I think is his name, transferred from Penn State, who is... Yeah. Uh, Who's you know, if something should go wrong with Zaire, I think we have him who's supposed to be better than Zaire and Golson. So um, I, I know you and I will get more in depth with this as we get closer to the season. But um, when I heard Ishak was coming back, I was just ecstatic because I mean this this just makes what I already thought was going to be a great defense even greater. Yeah, obviously you know that there there will be. Plenty of, of of stuff as we get into July and August, especially in August when you get into camps. Uh, that obviously you and I will surely take a segment and, and preview the Notre Dame season. Um, but this is a year, and I've already seen articles about it that that talk about with the roster that Notre Dame has, the schedule that they have. Um, that that this is that this is a really big opportunity for this Notre Dame team, uh, you know, to to finally get over that hump. And uh, to to get uh, to, to to possibly achieve what what Brian Kelly was brought in to do, and that's you know get to the playoffs now playoffs, and and possibly win a national championship. I mean, two years ago, again, you're 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 talking about a team that is only a couple years removed from playing Alabama in the national championship, and as bad as that game was, and I'm never going to try and, and and make any type of an excuse or try and, and, and paint that game to be anything but ugly. But the thing that you can take out of that game is the level that you need to be at to play with those teams and hang at that level. And I think with the team that Notre Dame has, again, it comes down to staying healthy. But if, if this team can stay healthy, they are a team. And again, with that schedule, you know, I don't think it's as tough as a typical Notre Dame schedule, although it probably will shape up to be worse just because I said that. But <laughs> obviously, it, the, the way it shapes up, especially now with the with the deal in place with the ACC with that scheduling, it's more it's more like a conference schedule. You know, you're never going to see Notre Dame schedule. You know, the St. Catherine School for the Blind, like a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, especially in the SEC and the ACC tend to do. 
But when you have five committed games in the ACC, there's only so much you can do outside of that. So, you know, I, I like the way that, that it's working out, and, it, and it's making it look like it's going to be a little bit more friendly. And I think playing that type of schedule in the voters' eyes and the committee's eyes could play in Notre Dame's favor as well because they're not completely – they're, they're not like completely anti-conference anymore. So you're in a situation where I think the whole situation could be in, in Notre Dame's favor. But again, they're going to have to, they're going to have to go undefeated. We saw it with TCU last year and in the, the situation with the big 12 with having no conference championship. That's the only problem with Notre Dame being independent is that uh, they have to be undefeated. I don't think you're going to be in a situation unless there's a lot of one-loss teams where a one-loss Notre Dame team would make it to the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean that's that's always the case. Um, you, you know, in in most sports, you know, a loss doesn't really matter. In college football, every game counts, uh, especially when you're an independent school like Notre Dame, who um, you know, kind of has the history and and is always kind of fighting for their spot. And, um, you know, with a lot of naysayers pointing at their schedule, oh, well, they play Navy every year, not, you know, really taking into account that it's a tradition based on when Navy was the powerhouse and Notre Dame was a nothing school. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm like you. I, I have high hopes for this season, but I'm cautiously optimistic because, you know, there's always that those one or two games where, you know, it's going to come down to the last play against the team that uh, they shouldn't really be that close with. Um, and I, and and we'll I, I hate to say it, but, but having Pitt on the schedule uh, just takes me back to that three-overtime uh, game yeah. in the in, in 2012 where, you know, it came down to field goal kicking. And um, I remember that night in particular because my wife and I had a – we had about four couple friends of ours uh, over at the house for a game night. And I'm just pacing back and forth across my living room, and they're they're like, "Why don't you sit down and play?" Like, don't talk to me. Why are you even <laughs> expecting me to not do anything but sit in front and watch this game? They go, "Well, why are you so nervous?" And I go, "Because they're three games from a national championship berth. That's why I'm so nervous. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. But you know, in this situation, if you don't have anything." uplifting to say to me right now, leave me alone. I mean, it was, and uh, my wife was somewhat embarrassed. I was somewhat drunk, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, it was just, it was just one of those things. Um, but yeah, it it, 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 it could be one of those years. It could be one of those uh, uh, magical, uh, magical years, potentially knock on wood uh, for Notre Dame. Before we get to the last college football story, it's a final in Tampa. Two to one Chicago uh, wins the game. They scored two goals a minute and 58 seconds apart from each other to take the game one victory. A huge, huge come-from-behind win for the Blackhawks and for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That one has to hurt. Um, not saying um, not saying it's impossible, but that that's going to be a big one and, and, and could uh, change the pace of the entire series. Matt, last college football story uh, we have tonight, the, the first ba- the ballot, 76 candidates for the College Football Hall of Fame's 26 induction, 2016 induction class have been announced. Um, the now the uh, the the NFFs, the National Football Foundation's 
Members will vote on the class, which will be ultimately selected and announced in January. Uh, among the several big names for the in the uh, who are first ballot uh, members on this one include former USC quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner Matt Leinart, uh, New Mexico linebacker, and eventual Chicago Bears All-Pro Brian Erlacher. Uh, other notable first-timers include uh, Florida State stars Derek Brooks, Terrell Buckley, Penn State's Kerry Collins, Purdue's Rod Wilson, Texas A&M's Dak Gwynn, um, Michigan State's Morton Anderson, and Washington State's Mike Utley. A few other holdovers uh, from the 20 prominent holdovers from 2015 are uh, Rocket Ishmael from Notre Dame, Miami Jerome Brown, Nebraska's Eric Crouch. SMU's Eric Dickerson, UNLV's Randall Cunningham. Uh, I believe there's actually uh, two or three Notre Dameers in, on the ballot. I'm not going to list every single one of them because it's far too long. Bob Crable, who played at Notre Dame uh, in the early 80s, uh, is on there. Of course, Rocket Ishmael, like I said, and um, Todd Light. Tommy Reese. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a special wing uh, at, at the College Football Hall of Fame for Tommy Reed. Uh but Todd Light is the uh, is the other one, cornerback, a two-time first-team All-American um, for uh, Notre Dame back when they won uh, national championship in 1988 uh, when I was uh, three years old. So um, you can check out the full list, but uh, it's always cool. Um, now I know the College Football Hall of Fame has moved. Uh, because it used to be in South Bend. Uh, my family and I visited it uh, a few times uh, when we were out at, at Notre Dame games. Uh, it was always really cool, a lot of interactive stuff. I think they've moved it to Atlanta now, um, so you're kind of in the hotbed of the SEC. I think it's in South Bend, because um, you know, I don't know if you've ever actually been to the city of South Bend. Um, it, it, the, the city sucks. The city really sucks. It, 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 it's really a shithole. Um, and I think especially, you know, you consider from like November till March, uh, late March, that that, that city is not going to be a very fun one to be in weather wise. Um, so uh, moving it to Atlanta kind of makes sense. I, I haven't been there since then, but uh, it was always fun. It was always a cool thing. I, I, I hope to someday make it down there uh, to Atlanta to check it out um, as a as part of my uh, Hall of Fame tours. But um, but uh Matt, thoughts on uh, any of the names in, in the class, uh, and, and um, you know who you think uh, should should maybe make it in? I uh, I was picking out a few of the names you Ezra. I mean, Matt Lyon, man, uh, it's, he certainly belongs <laughs> in that College Hall of Fame because man, he was outstanding. But um, it's just unfortunate what happened in his career. And uh, I picked out Morton oh, Anderson, the kicker. Uh, didn't know his nickname was the Great Dane. <laughs> That's a fun little tidbit. Um, but I, I have fond memories of, of him as, as uh, um, playing Madden back in 1999 and always picking Mort Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I think Morton Anderson is the uh, NFL's all-time leading scorer. I think at one time I had a Twitter argument uh, with a jackass who said the guy shouldn't be uh, in the NFL Hall of Fame. I said, the guy's the leading scorer in the history of the league. I understand they're they're mostly always kickers, but like, I mean that that's something of importance. I mean, for all the kickers and all the players to ever play the game, if you're currently the NFL's 
the record holder as the NFL's leading scorer in the history of the game. That that has to mean something. Um, but uh, oh, yeah. you know, so so yeah, he's great. Uh, I have no problems with Matt Leinert's uh, career going into the dumps after what he did <laughs> in 2005 to us in that green jersey game. I have uh, I have no yeah, problems with. Push. Oh, for God's sake! That that play still haunts my dreams uh, every every fall. Um, I think I wake up in cold sweat, cold sweat, screaming <laughs> about it. But uh, but yeah, you know, again, I think it's cool. I think it's very good. I think it's cool they have a college football hall of fame, and uh, you know, they recognize what these guys uh, did because so many times I think they uh, just kind of get uh, get get forgotten. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, but yeah, very cool. Um, and and you know, obviously, when the, when the time comes, uh, about six months from now, uh, in January, when when this comes out, then um, then we will uh, cover that. Matt, uh, I think you want to touch. You're you're kind of an NBA guy. Let, let's preview the uh, the NBA Finals here a little bit. Uh, make some predictions there. I'll kind of let you lead this discussion. As uh, you know, I've not never much been one for the for the NBA that much. But uh, give us a little. Uh, Give us a little preview of the finals. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a great series. Uh, it's like we talked about earlier, you know, fans of sports in general that aren't really into the NHL, you know, generally watch the Stanley Cup. That's not always true with the NBA playoffs, but I think this year it will be. I, I think it's going to go a full seven. You have the Golden State Warriors against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, both are just really fun teams to watch. You know, the Cavs, of course, have their big three you know, LeBron, who is arguably the best of all time, certainly one of the best of all time, um, and, you know, some injury concerns with Kyrie Irving and then Kevin Love, who it may or may not be his only season with Cleveland. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do. And then there's Golden State, who's just a fun team to watch. Uh, Stephon Curry is just one of the purest shooters I think I've ever seen. Um, he's a guy that, you know, when the ball leaves his hand, I'm shocked when it does not go in the net because I just think everything he shoots is going to go in. And, um, you know, with Clay Thompson still not fully cleared from his concussion in game five against Houston, which was just a nasty, nasty injury. I don't know if you saw it or not, but um, it's tough to watch the replays on that because you just see his head slam against that knee. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I talked earlier about how you don't see a lot of, uh, you know, hard contact in the NBA, but but that was something that was just absolutely, like you said, horrific to watch and really unfortunate. Yeah, and then as a Sixers fan, it's it's cool to root for Iguodala, you know, the sixth man coming off the bench. Uh, He finally found his role. I think he was asked to do too much in Philadelphia. Now he's asked to, you know, come in and be the defender and not the guy. And uh, he's really flourishing in that role. So two really fun teams to watch. Uh, a lot of scoring on both ends, um, even though both are actually really good defensive teams as well. And uh, you want to see if LeBron can finally bring one home for Cleveland here like he did for Miami. Um, I'm actually picking Golden State to win in seven just because I think uh, – their story is, is the one more people can get behind and make more fans of the NBA with, you know, a small market. You know, you don't have the Lakers or the Clippers. This is Golden State Warriors. You know, used to be the ugly stepsister of the California basketball teams, and now they're kind of 
making the statement as why they should be the best. So it'll be a really fun series to watch. Um, I know you're not a big NBA guy, and uh, you know, I, I understand You know, it's not for everyone, but I, I think when you get to the final series, especially when you have two teams like this, uh, it could be a, a lot of fun to kind of get into. Yeah, you know, I, I and uh you know, good analysis there and and um you know, for me, you know, I, I like I said it it is something I won't watch every game. I'll, I'll probably watch parts of every game. Um I always like um I always like seeing uh when, when teams win. I don't care what the sport is. I always like seeing that that clinching moment when when these guys who have worked their entire lives and their entire careers uh for something uh finally get that payoff. Uh, I always enjoy that, so um, I, I, I always tune in. You know, when when the championship is actually won, uh, for me, um, you know, I, you know, for years I was always a anti-LeBron guy, but uh, you know, as time kind of went on and as he kind of grew, you know, I was I'd be more, more so because of the the decision uh, that whole that whole special on ESPN that kind of turned me against him, uh, much like most people. Um, but then as time went on, it really made you look at the fact that like he tried to give Cleveland the opportunity and they just didn't. And he was like, "Look, I know for me to to, to even be in the conversation with Jordan, I need to win championships. They weren't going to give me that opportunity here. They've done it now. He's come back. That you know that we I, I talked at length about it. Um, you know back when he made the decision." to come back to Cleveland and the article in, in Sports Illustrated and all of that, and it shows you that he even realizes as he's matured that he made mistakes and he's grown from them. Um, so not only for him uh, to be able to come back, but you know, five straight NBA, NBA final series uh, you know, and, and the opportunity to win one uh, in Cleveland and for that city, a city that um, you know, has been really a laughingstock uh, in sports for so long, has not won a title, what, since the, the mid-70s or something like that. Cleveland, the, the, the Indians had a few opportunities in the 90s, um, yeah. you know, and, and obviously the Browns haven't sniffed the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, I, you know, for them, for him, for, for the city, um, you know, I, I, I'm pulling for LeBron and I'm pulling for the, uh, the, the city of Cleveland and for the Cavaliers because also, too, like, I like to see, um, you know, I, I, I like to see and, and, and guys who are the best of an era, you know, get crowned and, and, and make that argument stronger because then, then, you know, I've never been a fan of the, you know, is so-and-so better than, you know, from this generation? Are they better than so-and-so from that generation? But, you know, the, the, the conversation's going to be out there, Jordan or LeBron. You know, LeBron's got to keep winning to really be in that argument. So so I'm definitely pulling for Cleveland in this one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, LeBron's not an unlikable guy. You know, I, I was like you. I used to root against him as well when he was with Miami just because, you know, you, you don't like to see those super teams kind of prove everyone right. You like to see the underdog get it. And um, so when Dallas was able to beat Miami that first time around, it was great. But uh, after that, I was kind of okay with, with LeBron getting his rings finally because he certainly did deserve them after putting the Cleveland team of many years ago on his back multiple times. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like a Tom Brady. You, you just have to respect 
how good this guy really is and um you know not just get caught up in you know what it, what you think about him off the field or off the court yeah so um yeah definitely it should be an exciting series by all accounts um and uh and and we'll you know we'll cover it we'll we'll keep uh keep track of it as well uh when when we do the shows here so uh definitely something to watch Matt the Belmont Stakes this weekend uh, we have some analysis from Anthony again he was hoping to call in He's out of the country and technology not uh, not allowing him. The question, of course, is American Pharaoh going to break history and win the Triple Crown, the first uh, of its kind? Uh, the first it would be the first one since 1978. He is in the fifth spot, uh, three to five odds. The uh, the post positions are Mubtahij, um, uh, if I pronounce that right, is, is horse number one. Odds ten to ten to one. Tale of Verve is at uh, number two, fifteen to one. Made from Lucky is a uh, number three, twelve to one. Fermento, a thirty to one odds at number four. Of course, American Pharaoh, like I said, at five, three to five odds. Frosted number six, five to one. Keen Ice, twenty to one at number seven. And Materiality at six to one is in the number eight, number eight spot. So, of course, we know he's won the Kentucky Derby, and uh, and it won the Preakness. Uh, last month in the in the rain, um, Anthony says this. He said America Pharaohs drawn five posts, which is ideal. Uh, looking at the 1.5 mile race as a war with many battles fought, uh, other horses will launch attacks on American Pharaoh throughout the field. Can just trail and go from there. The 1.5 mile is daunting enough. Add attacks from others, it makes for a hellacious race. Anthony says he does not. Uh, does not think American Pharaoh gets his, gets it done. This is his fourth race since April 11th, which is a lot of uh, wear on the horse. Uh, he says, for me, too much going against him. He said he's rooting for him to win, but uh, do not see, a pa- see it happening. If he wins it, it speaks to how talented the horse really is. Uh, he says, uh, Anthony says, I think he is talented enough to hang and be in the mix down the stretch. Um, but uh, his top three... Uh, yeah, so that is that. His top three materiality, uh, one, American Pharaoh, two, and made from Lucky, three. Uh, if you follow Anthony on Twitter, uh, he is a great follow, uh, co-host of the show, so you should already be following him. Uh, he is at A-R Marchetto, A-R-M-A-R-C-H-E-T-T-O. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he points out that odds are current and will change by post time. And, and um, so, Anthony, thank you again for getting men in. Sorry you... Uh, you had some trouble uh, being out of the country, getting uh, getting through to the show tonight. But I appreciate the um, the analysis there. Um, yeah, a- Andrew at Pyrolord three one four co-host on the show as well. So yeah, gotta love some of the names of these horses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least it was only one really hard one that I couldn't pronounce. But uh, again, you can see all of those online. Just search the field there. Um, you know, I, I don't know a lot about horse racing. I'm not going to sit here and try and uh, pretend like I do, but the bottom line is this. And I said it, uh, I said it last year uh, when you had the, the, the possibility of a triple crown, I want to see it. I'm a guy who loves seeing history made. I love, I'm a guy who loves seeing records broken. Um, and, and th- this is no different. Um, the people at, at Belmont have to be loving the last couple of years, having the opportunity to have it because people actually care about Belmont now. I always almost kind of feel bad for you. Everybody cares about Kentucky Derby. 
and of course, everybody cares about the Preakness because whoever wins the Kentucky Derby, more times than not, unless there's some sort of injury trouble, uh, is going to be racing at uh, at the Preakness. But then, more times than not, that, that that winner does not win at Preakness. So Belmont gets screwed. Nobody gives a crap about Belmont except for people that are degenerates and betters. And you get the people. There are people out there. I know I have friends that that are that are in, that are into horse racing because they either ride themselves or. Or they just, uh, you know, love the sport. But I'm not one of those people. I didn't even, you know, if <laughs> if it wasn't for somebody having won the Triple Crown before, I probably wouldn't know that there was a Belmont Stakes. I'll be honest. Um, but like I said, I, I hope to see the Triple Crown won. I hope to see American Pharaoh win this race. Uh, like Anthony said, it could be very difficult. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be pulling... Um, I, whatever that horse was that was thirty to one, though I, I might be putting, uh, might, might be thinking about putting a little money down on that one in case, by some stroke of luck, um, that that horse doesn't does win, um, and I can get a little bit of chunk of change there. But uh, for me, like I said, I just hope that uh, American Pharaoh wins. Uh, Matt, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm like you. I want to see it. It's but it's been so long. It's you know what? The last one was in '78, so it's it's almost like we're going to never see it. But um, I really want it to happen this time. The, the jockey on American Pharaoh, Victor Espinoza, this is his third time, at third chance to win a Triple Crown. So he's done it. He's taken a horse to two of the three races before. So let's say third time's a charm. He's going to get it this time. Yeah, I, I, I hope it happens. So uh, So we will see Saturday. Uh, you know, check uh, if you check the NBC listings for when uh, for when that is on. Matt, just a couple of baseball stories, and and uh, maybe we'll have time to um, maybe we'll have time to, to 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 touch on some golf before we close out here with about uh, ten or ten to twelve minutes left here. Uh, Steven Strasburg injured again. This time it is a uh, a strained left trapezius muscle. Um, manager Matt Williams said Tuesday the Nationals have not established a timeline for Strasburg to return. Uh, he likely will start throwing once the injury heals. Um, he lasted 15, or excuse me, 16 pitches in his start on Friday before leaving the game. The 26-year-old Strasburg is three and five with a 6.55 ERA this season. Um, he has failed to reach the fourth inning in four of his last five starts. Um, with all of the injuries, with all of the poor play, um, when can we call? When can we call Steven Strasburg a bust? Is it? And and maybe bust isn't the right word because it's not. It's not that he is. Um, it's not that he is uh, injuries. It's, it's it's hard to call it a bust because you know the, the sometimes the body just breaks down. It's not when he's healthy he performs, um, but you you have to wonder if you can call him a bust. I mean it, it's injury after in, injury and and it just is just piling up. Um, if it's not bust, I don't know what the right word is. But is it is it time to start start using that word with Steven Strasburg? Um, we need to come up with a word that just describes someone that's 
just whose career is, you know, like a Sam Bradford. Is he a bust? We don't really know because we haven't really got to see him play because he's always hurt. Um, you know, that that's kind of the scenario with Strasburg here, you know. So highly touted coming out of college and, um, you know, was just supposed to be the savior for the Nationals. And um, it's like the Nationals' turnaround has happened in spite of Strasburg because, you know, they're still winning and most of the time it's, you know, no thanks to him because he's either on the bench or he's, you know, getting shellacked for seven runs in four innings and being pulled. So it's, um, I don't want to say bust just yet because he is putting up decent numbers when he is, um, you know, barring this season. He is putting up decent numbers, but it's, we're getting close to that point for whatever that word that you you and I were talking about. He's he's pretty much there at this point. I would have to say. Yeah, yeah. We we have to find a word. If you if you if somebody listening, if you're listening, you have a word uh, that would describe a person that uh, that hasn't lived up to expectations because of injury. So we avoid the word bust. Um, tweeted at the show at Big Jim Sports. But yeah, you know, so I because I, I'm with you. I, I don't necessarily want to say bust because he's not ill performing when he's healthy, but he's just when the, the times of being healthy are few and far between for him. So definitely, uh, definitely something that uh, is is unfortunate. You know, with all the hype that he came in and he and he you know came through Harrisburg and and um, you know it, it somewhat has ties to this area because of that. Um, the, the, like, you know, the central Pennsylvania that we're in. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully he can get healthy. And, and, you know, at 26, you know, he still has most of his career in front of him. So hopefully he can just get healthy and uh, get back uh, to performing. One other baseball story, Bryce Harper, um, 18 home runs through his first 49 games, uh, currently leads the National League uh, and tied with Nelson Cruz. This was uh, as of uh, a couple of days ago. But um, he obviously would be a prime candidate to be in uh, to be in the home run derby, but is debating not taking part of it because his dad, who um, <clears throat> who is uh, who pitched to him during the 2013 home run derby, um, recently underwent shoulder surgery after a snowboarding accident. Uh, Harper said, "Quote: I probably won't be able to do it this year because he's my guy." Uh, it, it was weird because, uh, so, so, um, we'll see if I end up doing it or not. As of right now, I don't know if I'll end up doing it. Um, I don't know if I like the, um, I don't know if I like the reason, um, you know, because let's be honest here, pretty much anybody could, could throw balls to this guy to hit home runs in the home run derby. Um, I have no problem if a guy doesn't want to take part in this. I mean, you see you see a lot of times guys will come out of the home run derby if they're having a hot year and they'll go completely cold because, you know, you're you're overswinging and you're you, you know, it, it can really affect a guy's mojo. So, you know, if he would just use that as the reason, I would have no issue with it. I have issue with the 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 excuse that he's using. Um to get out of it. I mean, I understand, you know, he wants his dad to throw and that's fine, but don't use that as the excuse as to why you're not going to, uh, to take part of the home run derby. Yeah. Um, 
I hate Bryce Harper. Um, <laughs> Tell us how but, you really feel. <laughs> um, I mean, he's he's just such a fantastic player, though, and I think that you know we. I think on this show before, you know, we've kind of joked about the whole all-star break in general and, you know, these events that go into it. But the one that, you know, used to be kind of fun was the home run derby. Now I I don't really watch it anymore. Um, but you need the big-name stars to be in it to, to get people to watch, you know. Um, and so when there's a guy with a name like Bryce Harper, you know, who most baseball fans know, and, you know, he's hitting as many home runs as he is this year, it's, I mean, he, unless he has a legitimate excuse, which, you know, I'm with you, he doesn't, he needs to be in it. Um, you know, saying I don't want to do it because it'll mess with my flow, okay, that's fine. I, I accept that. But, you know, for for any other reason, you know, like the ones he's giving, it just seems like he's subtly telling us he just doesn't want to do it. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of BS. Uh, Andrew tweeted in, uh, in in reference to Steven Strasburg. Why don't we just call him Reggie Bush? Great potential, flashes of brilliance, too many injuries. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one final thing here, Matt, before we close up the show, golf this weekend, um, the Memorial Tournament uh, at at uh, Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio, which is of course the course that uh, designed um, by Jack Nicholas. Uh, defending champion from a year ago, Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, some uh, some players to watch for this one, in my opinion. Uh, you, you know, you'd have to think about guys like Matt Kuchar, Justin Rose, Bill uh, Bill Haas, Dustin Johnson. You got to put Ricky Fowler there. Um, but a guy that I think is a dark horse, and people you know people laughed at me when I talked about him um, back before Augusta, but is Tiger Woods. And the reason I say Tiger Woods is because for the first time in a long time he's healthy. He said he also he already feels better this week than he did going into the Players Championship, which again he played the full weekend. But here's the like the thing with that is this is a course that he knows. This is a course that he plays well. Uh, three years ago he won it for the fifth time, so he knows he knows how to dominate the course. He knows how to play the course. Um, I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb, and it's probably going to be an unpopular thing, and people will probably jump on me, uh, you know, if he doesn't. But I'm going to say he's going to be in contention, and he's going to be near, um, near or in the final group on Sunday. Uh, whether he can hold on and win the whole thing, I don't know, but I think that he will play a, play a part on Sunday, Matt. Uh, just you know, and 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 you know, I, I look at Tiger, and um, you know, if we can get even. I've talked about it before, even a year, maybe two, um, of Tiger playing at a near Tiger level um, would would be great. A guy I work with and I were talking about it is the thing with Tiger is he has to learn is he can't hit the ball like he did when he was, uh, you know, when he was young. He needs to stop trying to outdrive everybody because when that guy plays off the fairway, you know, he he's still talent-wise better than most, if not all, that are on the PGA Tour. So um, if he can just focus on the parts of the game that he can still dominate in except, instead of off the tee, then I think Tiger could be very dangerous. Matt, just real quick, what are your thoughts on uh, on the Memorial this weekend and, and maybe Tiger's potential? Yeah, I mean, 
I think Tiger's just that one win away from really making his comeback. You know, and you know, obviously that's the case. But um, you know, when there's a course that he's you know played well at historically, you know, give him the the confidence and you know gain some momentum from a win like that. You know, even if it's not a major, it can kind of propel him to future success because he can see that he still has this left in him. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still a Tiger fan, even though he hasn't had, you know, much success lately. And, um, you know, regardless of all of his personal stuff, it's, uh, you want to see the guy succeed because he's very important still, even with the emergence of, you know, a Rory or a Ricky Fowler, he's still important for golf. And, uh, if he's playing well, I think more people will tune into the sport and then start to learn about these other guys that are exciting in the golf world now. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, you know, it'll be exciting to see. And, and hopefully Tiger uh, not only can get a win here, but maybe can get a win in, in some of the majors uh, playing out this year. Like I said, I'd I love to see him break records. And, and you know, breaking Jack's record uh, would be great. So, Matt, uh, running up here on the end of the show, let them know where they can find you on Twitter, and then we'll uh, then we'll close it up. I'm on Twitter. It's at 3CT Affiliate 3, the number 3, CTA, Philly, as in Philadelphia, and then the number 8. Real quick, I think Andrew was on to something. Instead of calling him a bust, we can call him a bush. Yeah. Yeah, that works. That, that's how we're going to refer to it from now on. If you're, if you're riddled by enough injuries, uh, and uh, and you uh, ill perform because of it. You are now a bush, uh, at least on this show. So Matt, thanks again for uh, for calling in, bud, and uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, thanks. Have a good week. Are right, you too? So that's it, guys. Uh, thank thanks again for everyone that tuned in. Thanks to Matt for the co-host. Thanks uh, to to Andrew for tweeting, uh, uh, Adam and and CJ and and everybody who uh, gave thoughts on the poll. Uh, thanks again for all the support. We definitely do appreciate it. Um, just a reminder that uh, that in uh, three weeks, excuse me, two weeks from last night, the guys from PBR Pod at PBR Pod, Derek and Mike, you can follow them at the Derek D and at M Palano, will be joining us here on the show to talk about the rebrand of their podcast. So make sure you tune in for that. Again, thanks for listening in at Big Jim Sports on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Big Jim Sports. Uh, you can get me on social media, NGSCSports.com. Check it out. Spreaker and iHeartRadio. Search NGSC. We never stop. I'll be back Tuesday night, 930 Eastern time, right here on NGSC Sports. Have a great week, folks. Stay smart, stay safe, and as always, go for the win. Oh.